Hey, this is JJ Redick. You may know me as a basketball player. You may have seen me play during my college career at Duke University, or perhaps over the past decade playing in the NBA for the Magic, the Bucks, the Clippers, or the Sixers. Well, today I'm here to tell you about my new show, the JJ Redick Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. This is where you can find me interviewing athletes like my current teammate, Joel Embiid, as well as in-depth conversations with celebrities like the Late Late Show host, James Corden. The very first episode goes live later this week, so make sure to subscribe to the JJ Reddick Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Ringer FC. Woo! I'm your bus. <laughs> I'm your Greyhound bus driver, Ryan O'Hamlin, and checking my blind spots for me are Micah Peters. What's up, Micah? What's going on? And Donnie Kwok, now alone in New York. Now that yeah, I'm back in LA, back of the bus. Um, <laughs> uh, moving on. It was a big weekend in the Premier League for uh, bus parking which is why we're in our bus. So the first massive overreaction is parking the bus is the new counter-pressing. I mean, I really (laughs) hope not. (laughs) Uh, But I mean, like, the, I guess the question is, is, is it a, change of the season thing or is it a fixture pileup thing I honestly think that you think about the bigger clubs like your Manchester United or Manchester City Tottenham whomever uh, they kind of they were either un, they were shaky wins or they were very shaky ties yeah just very unconvincing performances because I mean a lot of them had games in midweek uh, City had what Feyenoord Tottenham had Real Madrid mm-hmm Manchester United lost in Switzerland. To who? Did you block that out of your <laughs> block that out of your memory? I did block it out of my memory. <laughs> but you know, like parking the bus obviously is like a pejorative or bus parkers are you know, it's considered to be anti football, but watching the games this weekend, it's not all buses are created equal. Like the different strategies employed by Huddersfield and Burnley, et cetera, they're different. I mean, it's like if you have a lot of the ball, everyone says you play tikka right? It's not the same, though. It's like th- there's different tactics. And I actually find it kind of interesting to see or to try to, to watch these big teams try to unpack the defenses. It actually makes it not necessarily exciting, but it's interesting. Yeah, I think so. We talked about this a little bit last week. Last week was sort of... Um, the weekend before the previous weekend, it was just the weekend that the top six just totally destroyed everyone else. And this weekend, um, most of the top six teams won. Arsenal beat Burnley. Uh, United beat Brighton. Uh, City beat Huddersfield. And Tottenham tied with West Brom. But all of the games were decided by one goal. Um, and it sort of was... It was it wasn't just the big teams running roughshod over the little teams, um, at least as far as the score lines were concerned. What, uh, I guess, which 
as our bus parking expert, Donnie, which yeah. one was your sort of, which approach were you most intrigued by? Well, I would say the match that was the most interesting was the Huddersfield City one. I think simply because City had so many gilt edge chances and kept blowing them, and it was kind of entertaining to see that. Mm-hmm. And it was really like desperate defending by Huddersfield, and uh, they obviously went ahead on a known goal, but you knew it wasn't going to last. Uh, City's just fun to watch, but I mean, the Burnley Arsenal match was interesting because. This was my first time watching actually a full match of Burnley this season, and obviously there's been so much talk about Sean Dyche and his shape and structure of the defense and everything, but it's really true. I mean, they put a lot of men behind the ball, but they actually do counterattack well, and it's a very disciplined unit, and Arsenal had no good chances. I mean, they won on a penalty, questionable penalty, I guess, but mm-hmm. um, it was it, it was like a... First of all, the whole Burnley team looks like they should be holding tiki torches. It's a very frightening <laughs> 11. Uh, and they were resolute, and they got broken down at the end. I mean, Arsenal were pressuring to the uh, you know and won the penalty at the end because of their pressure. But uh, I thought it was interesting how how stingy they were and how they really didn't allow Arsenal... Uh, any chances to score, any good chances. Yeah, I think, so this year, we went back and looked at the stats. Um, So seven of this decade, which is sort of the decade where people started keeping soccer stats that weren't just goals, (laughs) red cards, and goals conceded. Um, This decade, seven of the worst shooting teams, so seven of the teams with the lowest shots per game rate seven of the top eight all of those teams are in the premier league right now this season mm-hmm. um and you know that that is what parking the bus is right you're you're sacrificing attack to bunker down and cover up your goal with and get as many men behind the ball as many men behind each shot i guess um that's sort of what Burnley's known for a lot of the stats sort of say that they're an outlier in the sense of they always have multiple players between the ball and the goal when they give up shots. They block a shitload of shots, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so is this, is that a surprising statistic to you guys? Is is there a reason why we have all of these sort of just definite parking the bus teams in the Premier League this season? Well, I mean, it's just because you have so many high-powered attacking teams, right? I mean, like, it's just that you have to be able to weather the storm against teams that you're not as talented as. Mm -hmm. You can't outspin them. You can't really outplay them. So it's just kind of hoping for a stalemate and maybe to steal three points there at the end. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's it's simple math. The (laughs) If you're getting into a back-and-forth shootout, uh, the better team is going to win more often because there are more chances, so the randomness sort of disappears a little bit. And if you're just playing a style that limits the number of chances on each side, there's you get the Huddersfield City game, which is Ederson didn't make a save the entire game. Um, and the Huddersfield scored on a on ball Nicholas Otamendi's <laughs> face. <laughs> and because of the way they played, they were clearly outplayed, like Donnie said, on another day, I think City maybe wins that game for nothing, probably. But because of the way Huddersfield played, you you you're setting yourself up for 
the possibility of stealing a point or you know, stealing three points. Uh, and I think you're seeing it now, as you mentioned, with the fixture pile up, the weather gets colder. I mean, United was scoring goals for fun in the beginning of the season when it was sunny out and Lukaku was getting a goal every game and it was 4-1, 4-1, 4-1. So I think that now, especially with Christmas coming up and all the, you know, Boxing Day and all these matches, there are going to be a lot of matches like this. Sp- speaking of United, we should, uh, <laughs> talk, we should about talk about, about that a little bit. Uh, <laughs> So they beat Brighton one nothing on a deflected Ashley Young shot. On a, it's just a very just <laughs> joyless performance. Uh, it was a very Frank Lampard esque goal. <laughs> he always just randomly would find the upper corner <laughs> off of like seven different shins. Um, but after the game, Mourinho very interesting way of phrasing this, where he sort of preempted the pundits and then said that they were also correct. So he said, I wouldn't be surprised if today some of the pundits say we play with too many attackers. I wouldn't be surprised. But if they say that, I think they were right. Sometimes you play with too many attacking players and you lose control of the game. So his here's what Mourinho is saying. He's saying that... <laughs> In a game where they struggled to get anything going forward, um, when they were largely like very ponderous... Uh, as far as like the way that they kept possession, it wasn't possession with direction. It would be like they'd swing it back and forth, and then try to find something down the down the down the touchline, maybe to get something in the middle onto Lukaku's head or whatever. And uh, Brighton was very organized against that. So it's just just again the the lack of like verve or like conviction to actually just go go ahead and try to take the game. You know, I mean, it was the same lineup though against Newcastle, right? So yeah, it was the same for that day. It was the same, but I mean, like, regardless of whether or not it was the same lineup, it was, you know, not the same product. Um, right. It was just, it like I can't, I I don't know how many other ways there are to say that they looked bad, but they still yeah. managed to get the win. Yeah, they ma- managed to get the win, and the other thing is, like, I guess I could understand him saying what he's saying if. Brighton had like a ton of good chances, but they didn't they really, really have didn't. anything. They had like one cross that <laughs> a guy might have gotten on on the back post. So I, I don't, it's sort of hard for me to understand what Mourinho is saying other than him playing a lot of attacking players against Newcastle and then everyone being like, this is dope, this team is awesome. And then he was like, oh shit, what have I done? I don't want to ever, <laughs> ever have to play all these players at the same time. So he's trying to find a way to like, Backtrack it's off a, of that. It's like preemptively fending off criticism. Exactly. Yeah. And um, uh, as of now, when we're recording this, uh, Manchester United is going to play Watford. Um, and that ought to be fun, but the lineup is already out, and he's playing, what, six defenders? Five defenders. Five and defenders. Jesse Lingard. And Jesse Lingard at attack. He's yeah. kind of the. He's. I think he's actually a decent attacker, but um, he's sort of the, the modern Dirk Kout. Park Ji Sung defensive winger type, right? He's it's just you know like and he's he's just always doing something. Yeah, um, I guess they they also weren't the only big team sort of r- circling around parking the bus themselves. Uh, <laughs> the Liverpool Chelsea game one one draw, uh, thanks to a. Just extremely lucky Willian goal at the end. I think we can all objectively say that. <laughs> uh, after the game, Eden Hazard said, uh, we changed the system. <laughs> Danny Drinkwater was on the pitch. <laughs> and then we were a bit more defensive. <laughs> uh, um, tell so us he, how you he, really feel. He's yeah. essentially saying that 
the presence of drink water equals Chelsea parking the bus. Yeah, well, at the same time... I mean, Drinkwater had the best chances in the first half. Drinkwater had the best chances in the first half, and on top of that, he kept Coutinho bottled up for very long periods of time. Mm -hmm. In his pocket, basically. I think what uh, Hazard's actually saying here is that Fabregas not being on the field means they are more defensive, right? It's not like Drinkwater is... No, like he's not a defensive player. He's not yeah. like a good defensive midfielder. He's sort of like an okay passer. That's he's just, just kind of like a good holding midfielder, sort of. But just having him on instead of Fabregas makes your team more defensively solid just because Fabregas is like a turnstile yeah. at this point. Um, all right. En- enough with parking the bus. Ho- hopefully, you know, these buses get broken down more more and more often as the season goes on. That- that's my my take. But... <laughs> Well, speaking of, well, actually no, because we're going to talk a little bit more about parking the bus. Yeah, because that's, that's, <laughs> I, I we have to talk about Gary Mexon saying fine, like fine. we have to talk about Gary Mexon after um, a one-one draw with uh, Tottenham in which. Uh, Rondon just kind of like manhandled Davidson Sanchez. That was great. <laughs> um, and uh, Harry Kane scored a tap in, like, but it was a first time tap in off of a Deli Alley across, and he five hold the keeper, which I don't even know. But anyway, after the game was over, Megson said, you know, those all those tactics that worked against Real Madrid didn't work against us. Like, <laughs> he was, uh, he was stunting it a was, little bit after the game. It's just you like know, to be fair, Rondon should have sealed the game for Brom at the end. I mean, the, the, he, well, he was saying that like chance. Robson, like the the chance that we created right there at the end with Robson, it was Robson Kanu. If he like put it left or right, he said, then it would have been a different story, and it might have been. But at the same time, it was just like he was like that's a better that's a better chance than anything they created, and. Which doesn't really... Didn't Harry Kane, like, miss a header from inside the six-yard box? He did, and also he <laughs> scored. So, I mean, I, I, I don't really know what the, we're talking about. The two things that, let, that I liked about this game is that Rondon's goal, I would bet all of the money I have that it will be the slowest-moving ball <laughs> that entered a net this season, like if you measure it by miles per hour. And just the game as a whole, it felt like a game from, like, 1878 where like anytime anyone tried to either play a pass or dribble at anything higher than half speed they would like fall on their face or the ball would go out of bounds <laughs> even Harry Kane's goal was kind of just like weirdly slow and the one West Brom attack where they kind of move quickly Rondon gets that sort of tap in type chance from the top of the six yard box and just has no idea what to do with it because the ball is moving too fast but to circle back with me trying to move past these parked buses and leave our bus behind. This is what happens when teams are parking the bus. At one point during the (laughs) West Brom game, fans were chanting, there's only one Gary Megson (laughs) at Wembley. This was happening. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Gary Megson, who, as Bolton manager, barely averaged over one point per game as manager. Um, So... Good on him. Um, I don't think war crime. (laughs) Let's pray for West Brom fans that West Brom doesn't get sucked into the our interim manager does well for two games. Let's hire him. Uh, Vortex. He's also apparently been on the phone to Tony Pulis like every day since he's been fired. Great, great, great stuff. Good Good stuff stuff at West Brom. Um, Okay, so the one of the few teams that doesn't park the bus outside of the top six is Watford, and 
I think definitively their best player is Richarlison, who in the second overreaction we say could get into any Premier League starting 11 other than Manchester City's. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, would I rather have Richarlison starting up there on the right side instead of Lingard today? Absolutely. But, you know, that's not the way that anything works. It's, it's just like the fact that Richarlison is just kind of, you know, wobbling forward or whatever, taking players on the dribble, and it's just that he offers so much on the turn. Like, yeah. you don't want to see him running at you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's more informative to me than would he, you know, where he would fit in any of the top six. It's how the bottom six teams all lack a Richarlison, and that's why they have to park the bus because they don't have a player that can of bust his ability. The game open. Yeah, that can bust the game open. I'm thinking of the third goal. I think against Newcastle, the way he turns, you know, as you mentioned, Mike, the way he turns with the ball and accelerates, it's just like he can break a game open and. Burnley and Huddersfield, as good as Aaron Moy is, they're just dying for something like that to happen in a game. And what, what about Jay Rodriguez? <laughs> slow. <laughs> he's good. He's good, but he's slow. <laughs> I agree. I I think the one team uh, Richarlison couldn't start for outside uh, City is Everton because he's just so much faster than everyone else on the team that <laughs> they would all just start like vomiting on the field by him moving around them so quickly. Uh, but we, you know, he sort of we talk about him every every couple of weeks, and he seems to just improve on our higher expectations every time. Um, I think he's pretty clearly the best twenty and under player um, in the league at this point. Yeah, his sort of expected goals and assists numbers are he's right around Leroy Sané, David Silva, Murata, Lacazette, Ozil, that class of player, which you know. Literally, no one would have predicted that coming into the season. I don't think. I I think that that's a fair thing to say. Um, I it'll be interesting. I think you know we've seen that Everton offered Watford a ton of money to just hire Mark Marco Silva, um, like over ten million. I think it was right, Donny. Um, Something like that. And that's a lot of money to get for a club like Watford. Um, for a manager, especially. Uh, so if they're willing to turn that down, the Watford chairman recently came out, or director came out and said that he expects Richarlison to be at the club for a couple more years, which, of course, I guess he's going to say that. But it, it'll be interesting to see... Him on the Chelsea bench next year? You yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Richarlison will continue to do very well until he moves into to a bigger club, you know, inevitably. So is Richarlison only good because he's on Watford? Uh, is this is this a usage rate question? No, I'm trying to. I'm I'm leading you into a take. <laughs> leading me into a take. <laughs> what if I don't want to? What if I? What if I choose not to take the bait? Oh, okay, is Richarlison only good because he's on Watford? Um, no, no, I don't think so. Absolutely not. I think you could make that argument if he was like a striker and he was getting their only chances or something. But he's yeah. essentially their entire their attack, engine, both yeah. scoring and assisting. Um, as we said, so Watford, uh, cherish him while you still have him. Uh, I think we're p- more than likely, we saw this last summer, Davinson Sanchez, Usman Dembele, a bunch of guys sort of moved to a sort of mid-tier club for a season, and then a bigger club bought them one season after they were with this new team. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that trend's going to continue, and Watford's going to 
just make a huge profit from their one-year investment on Richarlison. But uh, will he get will he get a call up though from Brazil for Russia? You think? How can he not? Right? Like I, I think Brazil. Part of their thing is they've sort of solidified their team, so it might be hard to break into that. But he's outplaying Coutinho right now, is he not? Yeah, I, I think that that's <laughs> you know. Um, Gabriel Jesus, Richarlison's like right below that level of production right now. Um, I mean, I was joking about Chelsea before, but I think a team that he would really fit well into is Spurs because I think they could use that shot of pace and creativity. I mean, watching them against Albion, they were definitely, I mean, it's been said about them before. They're kind of a leggy, ponderous team. And I think Richarlison would fit in really well there. I mean, yeah. Yeah. He's kind of like, like Sissoko and Zaha, who I think is better better than Sissoko. They're all sort of similar-ish players, like tall, fast wingers. But uh, Richarlison actually scores goals and creates creates them. So I think he sort of would be the ideal version of that player it seems like they've been linked with for the past couple summers. Depending upon how much credence you give the London Evening Standard, Tottenham are already in for him. But, you know, that's... Take that with a grain of salt and a twist of lime. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, we'll move on to the third massive overreaction, which I'm pretty sure we've already said this in multiple podcasts. Multiple podcasts. Um, But we'll say say it again. (laughs) Sayon Diche for (laughs) USMNT manager. I mean,. Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> I have I changed my answer in the in the other fifteen times we've brought this up in the past few weeks. I think that I, yes, sure. Why? Why not? Our uh, former fearless leader is out this week, Chris Ryan, and he wanted to talk about this, so we're going to talk about it um, in his stead. Uh, Donnie, you mentioned it earlier because you watched the Burnley Arsenal game. There is some so. The New York Times did a piece on Burnley last week, Rory Smith, essentially about how every stat says that Burnley should suck and they should be one of the bottom three teams. (laughs) Every piece about Burnley is... Everything about this team says that they should just be rubbish at at football. Yeah, so they... Some of the stats expected points, which sort of takes your expected goals for each game and figures out how, how many points you should have accrued at this point. Has them in the relegation zone in the relegation zone with uh, twelve points. They've conceded eight goals fewer than expected and scored almost four more than expected. So the one way of looking at this is this is complete luck, and they're going to just come crashing back to earth, kind of like actually happened last season where they had a terrible second half to the year. The other thing is this is the second year in a row they've done this in the first half. Maybe Sean Dyche is kind of a magician and they're doing some weird thing that the numbers don't pick up. And I think it's, as always, probably a combination of both, but it's like you watch Burnley and they are giving up a ton of shots, but you never quite feel like they're as vulnerable as these other teams that are parking the bus. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was alluding to, I think, in the the difference between what, I mean, obviously city is city, but the way Huddersfield was conceding chances versus the way Burnley was or wasn't, I guess, was really interesting. Uh, my favorite anecdote, by the way, of that Rory Smith piece is that uh, Deitch, when he first got hired at Burnley, apparently showed the squad all these DVDs of 
not only Barcelona, Pep's Barcelona, but also Peak Valencia. Rafa. Uh, which is like <laughs> kind of touched my heart because I really enjoy those teams. Um, and, it, you know, shows that me and Sean Dyche are thinking along the same lines. But as far as him being a manager of U- for the USMNT, I think there's like a mythology that's kind of being created around him. And he has that aura of a kind of fearless leader, I guess, to use a cliche. But I think that that would work would work well with like a, a national team. I don't know though if, uh, if he could fit in with the politics. I mean, if we're talking about this in a realistic way, um, yeah. I, I don't know if that would work. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like it's not fun to talk about it. We're we're no. only here for the sound bites. There's yeah. <laughs> there was uh, so that I said that Omar. I would be surprised if Omar Niasi got a received a retrospective ban for diving against Crystal Palace and winning that penalty. Um, Wasn't a dive. Well, he was handed a two-match suspension uh, right. last week, um, and the a pa- like a panel retrospectively charged him with successful deception of a match official, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was asked about it, and he said, "I hope retrospective bans are handed out all over the place. For me, they should be all over the pitch. If you're going to do it right and clean it up, then clean it up." <laughs> He's uh it would be great to have him as the US manager just for the quotes. I think it would be a weird fit because the US is in that weird spot of like they're supposed to be the best team or second best team in their region, so they're always playing teams that are worse than them. And then in the World Cup it's the exact opposite. So it would be interesting to see him sort of <clears throat> um playing as a favorite, but you know, this isn't gonna happen, I think. And who's the most talented player he's ever managed? Stephen DeFore or something, or Robbie Andre Gray. Gray last year. <laughs> like, what is he going to do with Pulisic? Like, Wardy Alba. <laughs> Wardy Alba. It, yeah, it oh, would be. Man. It would just kind of be. I think we would. You know, I, that's sort of the next step for Sean Dyche is what what he does with more resources. Um, the other thing I like from that time story is he studied Pep's Barcelona, but he didn't study the possession play. He studied quote only watching what they did off the ball, which is just amazing. Um, but <laughs> Sean Deitch, you're allowed to park the bus. Everyone else, figure something out. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with some zonal question marks. Support for today's Ringer FC comes from Greats. Greats is, a Brook- is Brooklyn's first sneaker company. With classic styles for both men and women, Greats made the best, but for less. All of their shoes are versatile for every moment, casual or formal, including bestsellers like the all-leather Royale lace-up and the Worcester slip-on. No wonder GQ says that Greats is, quote, shaking up the sneaker store inventory flow, and they're, quote, building the next great footwear company, according to Forbes. These shoes really are as great as they sound. But if you are unhappy with your pair, you can exchange them or return them for a refund, no problem. So grab a pair for yourself or someone you love. They make the perfect gift for the holidays. And now you can save 15% on your first purchase when you use the code FC. Just go to greats, G-R-E-A-T-S dot com and use the offer code FC for 15% off your first purchase. We are back. And Mike is taking and over. And I'm going to take over because I need, I, I feel like I need to be the one that's asking the question and Ryan should be doing the answering for this next zonal question mark. Well, the first zonal question mark. 
Will Liverpool ever win a game in which they lead for a significant amount of time? <sighs> Let's answer this. I'm going to answer this with two parts of my brain. The objective part, absolutely yes. They're um, plus six in the Premier League when they're winning. When they're up, when they have a lead, they're outscoring their opponents by six goals. Um, which is fourth best in the league behind Tottenham, City, and United. The subjective part of my brain is absolutely not, and there's no worse experience in sports for me in my life than watching Liverpool take the lead in a game. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I I just feel like that's not the way any of that is supposed to work. No, it's supposed to be great. Um, So... I mean, so is it, the issue is just the same thing that it's always been. Liverpool are good enough to to beat anyone on the day, and you know, like they beat themselves because their defense is porous, shambolic. All yeah, those other synonyms. Pretty much. I think what it comes down to is like, so last week Liverpool obviously, infamously, uh, was up three nothing at halftime at Sevilla, <laughs> and capitulated and ended up drawing 3-3. You know, honestly, it probably could have been like 4-3 Sevilla. Uh, (laughs) And then this past weekend, they take the lead on Chelsea. And then they, that aforementioned Willian, I think the luckiest goal in the history of the sport might not even, might not be an overstatement. Really? Come on. Really? <laughs> Come on. really? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He sort of played a half cross, half shot, and it just ends up in the back post. Um, and that's sort of those. It's two side. It's two sides of the same coin. The Sevilla game, Liverpool was literally getting pounded on the second half. The Chelsea game, they give up an unlucky goal, and it, you know what do you do? I think the thing that's frustrating for Liverpool fans is Liverpool is a very good team. They're right in there with all of the teams that aren't from Manchester in the Premier League. The draw away at Sevilla. If you told Klopp that he could have a draw there where they Sevilla hadn't lost a game in almost 30 matches, I think he would have taken it. A draw against Chelsea, the defending champs, that's also fine. But the way that Liverpool gets to drawing these games and gets to these very good, quote-unquote, overall results is just so frustrating because you can kind of see the upper point of potential um, from the team, but that's just not what this team is. Um, and I think that's what makes it frustrating. You know, they could a, a even one-one draw with Sevilla. You don't have the same reaction to them actually playing an even game against Sevilla. But the f- evenness is because they were incredible in the first half and then dog shit in the second half. <laughs> and yet they've only lost twice in well, the Premier League so far. That, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. it's still overall, if you look at it, if you zoom out, it's been a it's pretty good season. Yeah, you know, I mean, and this is just how it's just like an EKG that goes up and down, but you end up in the middle. Um, or <clears throat> or above the middle. And I, I personally just think that Klopp has sort of decided that this is the best way for the team to play. Um, the good players on the team are the attackers, so you attack as much as you can and try to pin the team back in, and you give up very few chances. Liverpool is conceding shots at a lower rate, I think, than any team this decade has, but the shots they concede are just very good. Um, but, you know, you watch a game and... You guys have seen it. Every cross into the box against Liverpool is like a 
national emergency, yeah. basically. <laughs> so, like, if Liverpool played more conservatively, that would lead to more balls into the box, and that would just not be a good thing for the team. <laughs> so I believe I, the text message I sent you over the weekend was on a scale of how on a scale of one to Ericsson in space from forty yards out, how confident are you? Yeah. And you said, is there anything below one? Yeah. And then you said Sima Mignolet with the ball at his feet. And then you corrected me and said Sima Mignolet with the ball heading anywhere towards his goal. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Chris said this to me over the weekend. He's literally at the point where he's kind of just like I know the team is good, but I just can't handle watching these games. It's like actually bad for my heart. Um, what did you make of Ryan? I'm, I'm wondering with the Chambo, Chamberlain, Sturridge, Salah, front three. Um, is Sturridge past it? No, I think I think Sturridge is the thing about him is he's actually like you know, getting off a decent number of shots and creating chances, but watching him play, he's just such a different player than Firmino. Um, totally. Firmino is like a very system player that does all of, all the things and moves really well. And Sturridge, it's like when he does get the ball, the rest of the team does kind of look like they have no clue what Sturridge is going to do. Yeah. Um, it's a which, little iso ballish, right? Yeah. Um, which can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. Um, I think ultimately the way to look at it is it's probably a good thing that Liverpool has a player as good as Sturridge as their sort of second string striker. But do you want your second string striker playing against Chelsea at home? Probably not. Um, but we'll see. Okay, we're going to move on. Uh, talk about a former Liverpool player who has flourished away from Adfield. What do you guys think about this? Is Raheem Sterling the best English player in the English Premier League? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like if you just wanted, if you felt no sort of compassion for him, you might say that. Because I feel like if you say the best English player in the mm-hmm. Premier League, that is kind of more <laughs> of a an ankle weight than it is, yep. you know, a, I, I don't know. What's what's the opposite thing here? I guess a buoy? Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, Ryan Sterling uh, rescued Manchester City from justice again over the weekend at, uh, at Huddersfield Town um, with a winner in the 84th minute. And it was, I, I'm just... I mean, like it was, it was, it was a uh, a rebound after uh, Kevin De Bruyne broke into the box, and it rebound off of Lossell, and then right, it kind of just bungled in off yeah. of Ryan Sterling's thigh, but it was a winner nonetheless. Yeah, um, and that makes twelve goals for City so far this season in all competitions, which is more than Sergio Aguero and Gabriel Jesus. Um, he's one goal behind. Uh, Harry Kane in terms of league scoring. I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he scores and he scores big goals. He scores big goals. Not not Lukaku goals. Shut <laughs> up, Daddy. Um, so I think you know the with Liverpool, um, Sterling as a you know nineteen or twenty year old this season where they almost won the. Premier League title um, sort of got screwed out of it, if you ask me. 
Um, <laughs> you did that to yourself. <laughs> uh, that he, you know, was really good that season. Um, I think his numbers were he had nine goals and five assists as like a nineteen or, tw- or as an eighteen year old, and his production has sort of had sort of stagnated from there. And he'd been producing at the same rate, but it's like, okay, you're eighteen and now you're twenty one, and you're still doing what you were doing as a 20- eighteen year old. That's kind of concerning. And this year, he's just taken a massive leap. And like you saying, Donnie, like one of the biggest criticisms of Sterling, unfair or fair probably unfair is that he is like an inconsistent finisher right and now he's just scoring huge goals all the time scores against Huddersfield with like his chest basically so he's sort of all of the things people were critical of about Sterling he's now doing them at an incredibly high level so then like what are you left with (laughs) other than like an awesome player yeah and a lot of that has to be the pep effect right I mean you know, it when he first came to City, he was like you said, he was stagnated. He was stagnant, and I think you know over the last couple seasons, the improvement he's shown, you can only credit that. Really, I mean, obviously, you have to credit the player, but I think Pep has brought the best out of him. Yeah, I think it's it's a combination of it's Sterling being the right player for that system, and then that system being the right system for Sterling. I don't think it's like one or the other. I think it's it's both. Um, so with Sterling sort of taking the leap, Harry Kane's also done that this year. Is England going to win the World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this like, is funny. I was telling you this, Ryan, like over the weekend that when I was watching all these games, uh, all I could think about was beyond the, the that all the teams were parking the bus is how badly England's going to do in the World Cup. <laughs> I could just see all these, especially watching Spurs, since the Spurs eleven is you know a lot of it is now the core of the or the spine, I guess, of the English team. It's just like I just don't see it. Like I, I'm gonna, I I see them struggling to score. I mean, they have Harry Kane, obviously, but. I mean, they getting, have a bunch of players that play in completely different systems with way more talented players elsewhere. Yeah. Right. I mean the theoretically the Rashford Kane Sterling front three should be really good. Yeah. Um cuz they're just <laughs> never going to get the ball. That's the thing cuz it's like Deli Ali is I guess maybe the nominal attacking midfielder for this team but he's not he's good at getting on the end of balls in the box, right? He's not yeah. a creative passer. Jordan Henderson he might not have any like I can't. I'm, ligaments never, in his body I'm by the end of the season. I'm never convinced that Jordan Henderson is doing things on purpose. Yeah, Eric Dyer, he's a really good holding midfielder, but he's not going to create much for you. Um, Wilshire. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's Loftus-Cheek or Wilshire. I mean, like, if I had a nickel. <laughs> That's your decision, then. <laughs> have fun getting out of the group stages, England. Um I okay. would have a hundred nickels. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna move on. Uh, you guys can ruminate on that sweet nothing that Donnie just whispered into your ear. Uh, for the final zonal question, is Crystal Palace good? I mean, no. If we're like, I mean, good in uh, good is relative. They are. I mean, what are they? Just above the drop zone. No, they're they're in the drop zone. They're, they're in the drop zone. <laughs> they're in last. They're, they're in la- <laughs> I mean, I'm saying that they could they could potentially, you know, find their way out of the drop zone in these next two games. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, theoretically, which is a totally different thing than in practice. But it's possible that they don't go down. But, I mean, it's I mean, also we, we, November. We've talked about him before, but Zaha really, I mean, it's like there's two parts of Palace's season when Zaha was hurt and when he was healthy because I think it's been seven matches now that he's played. They've won two, drawn two, and lost three. So that's basically mid-table form. And he scored three goals, three important goals, and he was everywhere against Stoke. So uh, they're not going to go down. They're not good, but I think Zaha is a really good player. And similar to Richarlison, he's like a spark that uh, play uh, teams that are near the drop or need to kind of not not get relegated. I've then, said this before, but I just he just gets so fucking hyped up when he scores. It's great. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing yeah. with his arms or his legs or, you know, it's just <laughs> it's just Can like he sits quick... the shot of electricity through his body. Ryan, I wanted a quick Renato Sanchez check-in. How's he doing? Uh, <laughs> nope. 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 We're not going to talk about him. Uh, <laughs> I think Crystal Palace... Uh, you know, you just look at the team, and it's like this team shouldn't be getting relegated. Uh, Mamadou Sako, whatever, say anything you want about him, he's just not. He's a good player. Like yeah. he, he's that's just a fact. France international in the past. Um, I know you hate Christian Benteke, Donny, but he just you know he has a track record of scoring. I goals. definitely don't hate him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you just think he's trash. Yeah, um, like you're saying, Zaha. Um, Are you saying that current iteration of Christian Benteke is trash? The one that's just kind of like a target player? Or we first half of the season? I mean, you know, yeah, first half of the season he was bad. He got hurt. He came back, and but don't forget Townsend is good too. Pretty good. Andrew Townsend was good for Loftus Cheek. Yeah, I mean, like it's 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 a team that that is. It, I mean, like at the beginning of season, it was a team that felt as though it was better than it was doing. <clears throat> yeah, I think they're they're sort of the bizarro Burnley. Uh, expected points has them in tenth place behind Leicester. Says they should have almost nineteen points this season. They only have eight, uh, and we we've talked about this. They've they've probably been a little lucky. And their luck is starting to come around. Uh, and I think it's come around soon enough that. <clears throat> Sorry, the uh, early season hole they dug for themselves, the worry was that it just would have been too big no matter how well they played, but I think they're close enough um, if they win their next game and West Ham and Swansea both lose, which happens more often than not. Uh, Palace will be almost out of the rele- relegation zone. So I think I think at this point I would bet on them not getting relegated. What yeah, about they're, you definite, guys? they're definitely trending up. I mean, remember the beginning of the season, they were almost historically inept. I mean, they didn't score a goal, you know, for how many matches. So if mm-hmm. they were unlucky then and they're getting a little bit lucky now, if I look at the teams above them, most of them are trending down. So yeah. well, that's, uh, that's the other thing. It's like none of the teams outside of the top six are other than maybe Watford and like Burnley, you know, if they're real or not real. None of those teams are like gonna, ever going to pull away. So I think it that that's not something we definitely knew uh, a couple weeks ago, but now I think it's kind of obvious that it's just a morass of mediocrity, which is uh, lends itself to Crystal Palace finding a way out. On that note, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with some talk about 
the rest of Europe. The holidays are coming up, and you know what that means. Lots of family time. But with the Hotel Tonight app, you can have the best of both worlds. Visit your family and stay in a sweet hotel. No crashing on an air mattress in your old bedroom that your parents turned into a gym. You don't even have to wait until your family starts to drive you crazy. You can actually book a room up to seven days in advance everywhere and up to 100 days in advance in certain major cities, which means you can lock down your holiday plan before you head home. Or wait until the last minute, if that's more your speed, and make it a break for it when Uncle Tony starts talking politics. Whether you need a room for tonight, the holidays, or beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app. Because while home is where the heart is, hotel is where the hot tub is. So this year, pull out of the pull-out couch and get a room with Hotel Tonight. Welcome back. Uh, We're here to talk about a team that the three of us growing up or in our younger adult days, um, depending on which perspective you're looking at this from, used to be just the class of Europe and the team we all kind of love to watch because they just had so much talent and always sort of found a way to win. Um, and had a lot of, I would say, elegant players. Uh, we're talking about AC Milan, who just fired their manager, Vicenzo Montella, and they replaced him with the real dog, <laughs> Gennaro Gattuso. <laughs> um, Gennaro Gattuso, a uh, famous sort of defensive midfielder uh, who played for Rangers before AC Milan, which I love, uh, was a stalwart of the World Cup winning team in 2006. Uh, and Made now... 400 appearances for the club, too. Yeah, a, a club legend um, and has been brought in to sort of, I guess, salvage their season, even though, as they've been in years past, uh, AC Milan is a mid-table to slightly above mid-table team in Serie A. And I I guess they're expecting Gattuso to bump them up the table, although Gattuso, uh, (laughs) in in his stint with Pisa as manager, uh, the the games between Pisa and whoever they played averaged 1.4 goals per game. (laughs) So uh, I guess by creating a really boring team uh, with all this money they spent this past summer, Milan's hoping that that somehow <laughs> makes them good. Oh, man. Um, it's a bit of an Everton effect, I think, right, with Milan about uh, how much they bought and yeah. how many new pieces there are and I think it's an try, e- trying to make that work. It's definitely, definitely, I think we've even said that on the podcast. We've called them the Everton of Italy. I think it's it's a oh, worse... I, I missed that one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, I think I said it, so you're you're in good company. Um, <laughs> it's uh, Less about me and more about myself. I would honestly yeah. say Everton is in a much better position than AC Milan. Uh, so Milan, uh, they have a new owner. Uh, his name is Lee Yong Hong. He bought the Red team. Money. He bought the team back in April. A Chinese businessman. Uh, his purchase of AC Milan made them the most expensive team ever bought because Man U was a publicly traded company, so they don't that doesn't apply to them. Um, that says more about soccer teams never hit the open market. Um, but to buy the team, Yong Hong took over a three hundred euro loan, three hundred million euro loan from. Uh, an American hedge fund called Elliott Management, which you only take a loan from a hedge fund because the hedge fund is the only institution willing to give you a loan because everyone else, like just a bank, looks at you and they're like, fuck no, you're not going to be able to pay that back. Um, 
And so they bought a ton of players this summer, most notably Leonardo Benucci, uh, Andre Silva, Hakan Kelenoglu, Ricardo Rodriguez, just a ton of players. Totaling $250 million. Yeah, um, so the kind of... I even wrote a piece, maybe AC Milan's back. You know, they bought, they kept uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma, their, you know, very talented young goalkeeper, and they just haven't improved at all. And now it appears that Young Hong is just not going to be able to pay the loan back. He has until next October to do it, and he is not close to doing it. Milan's not going to make the Champions League unless something changes, and they're going to need to make a deep run into the Champions League to win more prize money to even have a chance, really, of paying the money back. So it seems like they're in a situation where they're going to get dinged by financial fair play, um, and there's a chance that they just this hedge fund will take control of the club, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is scary. Uh, oh, man. Which means they'll probably sell off a lot of the players. Um, or Yang Hong can try to find a buyer uh, to fix this situation. But it doesn't appear that there is a way for Milan to go up unless the team suddenly starts totally outperforming what they've done in the past. Or they win the Europa League. That's true. Yeah. That's basically win the Europa League, and then they have to like win the Champions League next year to make enough money <laughs> to yeah. pay this off. But uh, so it got us thinking um, about our other sort of favorite, quote unquote, sleeping giant teams in Europe. So I wanted to ask you guys who, who's your favorite European giant who's currently in a slumber? Um, well. I don't know. I wasn't really. This isn't really the question I wanted you to ask me because I just wanted an opportunity to talk about Schalke. They're That's not fine. really a sleeping giant. Thank you for being transparent. You know, considering the fact that they're at the top of the Bundesliga, but <laughs> I mean, did any? Uh, well, did, they have did, the best player in the world, Weston McKinney. Did, so the best how, player in the world, <laughs> Weston McKinney, uh, playing against uh, Christian Pulisic over the weekend. The Schalke Dortmund game was. Uh, did y'all watch that? I mean. Did did you? I turned because, it off. It was like three nothing. Three exactly. Now, I, I woke like I woke up. I woke up to watch the game uh, over the over the weekend and woke up and it was already three zero in the twentieth minute. And I was just like, ah, I'm just gonna go back to sleep. And then my brother wakes me up later on and he's just like, Did you see how the game finished? And I was just like, <laughs> It was three zero in the in the first twenty minutes. It couldn't have been that interesting. It was four four. I mean, how do you go up four? They were talking about this on the broadcast. The fact that Dortmund started the season with five clean sheets and they've conceded 16 goals since. And it was just, you know, the game was just Dortmund in a nutshell, like high-flying attacking football and then just porous defending on the opposite end. Yeah. If you're a Liverpool fan and you, like, feel bad for yourself, just watch Dortmund play and that'll (laughs) remind you that things could always be more psychotic. Um, and I think, I think Schalke took off McKinney pretty early on. So if they didn't do that, I'm sure they would have won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was getting after it kind of early, you know, leaving his leg in the tackles in the first ten minutes. I think the the, the atmosphere kind of got maybe the best of him, like it did for everybody else, including uh, Pierre Mourinho, who who went off for a really kind of stupid challenge. In yeah, the, got a second yellow, but. Still, though, four goals in the second half. It was over at halftime. The uh, Schalke team store, they have a T-shirt commemorating the tie. 
because Schalke and Dortmund is the yeah. those, they're the two huge rivals. Um, does this remind you of the Tottenham Arsenal game where Tottenham made a commemorative DVD for that four four draw with Arsenal a couple years ago, Donnie? The <laughs> Jermaine Genus game? Yeah, David Bentley. <laughs> um, <laughs> David Bentley. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, if you can make a DVD, make a DVD. It's all good. Do you have a, a sleeping giant you wanted to talk about? Well, it's kind of a, a way to talk about something else because, uh, well, first of all, actually, guys, I was thinking like, you know, on YouTube, there's so many soccer and, and on Twitter, actually, they circulate like lots of highlight videos. And, and I noticed that in soccer, it's kind of similar to basketball where they have like like the hoop mixtapes of upcoming prospects. Mm-hmm. There's all these videos of like upcoming players and like scouting reports. Yep. It's actually quite a deep rabbit hole you can fall into. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because like, you know, there's so many like individual skills that you do in soccer and, and in basketball that you can highlight and kind of put together in a in a really enticing highlight package that I don't know. Am I just rambling here? You guys agree with me? No, I mean like I agree with you. I'm just I'm just waiting to see who you're trying to talk about. So that segue <laughs> is to talk about Ajax and uh, the son of Patrick Cluver, Justin, who scored a hat trick over the weekend, and it was an amazing hat trick, and it was put together and circulated on social media. He scored three goals in three different ways, and they were all kind of equally satisfying to watch and uh, kind of remarkable, actually, because they showed sort of how cleanly he struck the ball, his pace, his close control, you know, and his, his his ability to run at defenders. And so, you know, after watching that, obviously, I got kind of interested in him. Born in 99, he's 18 years old, and it's actually his first three goals of the season were all in, in that game. And they, were, and they were, I mean, that's the thing about hoop mixtapes and things like that is like, it's only the best. They don't make low light tapes. So, you know, these tapes or these highlight reels can lie you know, he scored the goals, but they were his first three goals. It, it, Ajax was playing the team at the bottom of the table. Um, but they you know, were did, really sexy three goals, though. They I, were sexy they three were. goals, and that led me to watch about 30 minutes worth of of him playing at youth level with Netherlands. And he's been at the Ajax Academy since the age of nine. So there's a lot of footage of him on, like, you know, empty pitches, just beguiling defenders. He's a really interesting-looking prospect i would say and i if you guys remember maybe you remember this mike at the end of last year's europa league final after the match cameras caught Mourinho whispering in his ear and there were lip readers that were kind of surmising that oh he was jose was saying you're going to be at united next year you just got to learn how to track back he was just (laughs) he was he was actually just telling him when and where he would die he does that with everyone (laughs) (laughs) but anyway if you remember his dad you know his dad is like a, a striker a pure striker and and justin is like a winger but he's really he his game is actually tailor made for like highlight packages because he does all the trickery the step overs and he's lightning quick and he scores some really crazy beautiful goals so I mean it's like someone to watch it's fun to kind of hype somebody up and he's obviously got a lot of hype now after what he did last weekend his weakness is his finishing and he proved he could finish in this one match we'll see what he does moving forward sure the Daily Mail has a Q&A where they just are questioning themselves and then answering the questions about whether or not he's better than his dad 
<laughs> Look, Micah uh, and Ryan are giggling now. If this guy was American, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, but he's not American, so yeah, it's like when you um, score a hat trick in you guys West. Would be getting Justin Kluver tattoos, when tramp you, stamps right if you now. Score a hat trick and Weston McKinney's not on the other side. It's not really worth anything because then it's just you're just going through a Swiss cheese defense. Yeah, yeah. Does, I mean, does like it if seem it was a little Henri-ish? I mean, you said it. You said it, <laughs> and <laughs> and also, I mean, no, I, I, I don't know. He's his young, his game young is, Henri, young Henri as a winger, Henri Monaco, Henri Juventus, Henri. You know, kind of. Yeah, just, he he does cut in from the left, which was an Henri thing, especially earlier in his career, and he's kind of uh, got that languid, sort of smooth style. Right, smooth is a good word for him. So. But he probably I mean, won't score again for the rest of the yeah, season. Exactly. Yeah, I was just gonna say we'll uh, we'll, mean, we'll we'll check back with Justin Clivert uh, in April when he still has three league Clivert. goals. Sorry, pronunciation. <laughs> you should definitely buy him on Football Manager or yeah. FIFA or whatever. Definitely do that. Definitely try to make a highlight tape of him um, that makes him look like the next the next Henri and ignores everything negative that he does. Um, and pick pick some better music. Pick pick something that's Please not. Please stop playing Euro trash music over highlight videos. <laughs> PSA. Yeah. Like, yeah, give me some Dave Matthews band behind some Justin Clyde. Okay, highlights. extremely do not do that. Um, I, Michael I, wants future, right? I want I want yeah. NBA Young Boy or like or Young Dolph. I don't know. Has some like let's have some varied some varied music at least. Yeah, someone p- please heed Micah's call. Um, <laughs> Anyone. And send, if you care send, about me at all. <laughs> he needs your help. Uh, so s- send him those highlight tapes this week. We'll be back with you next week. Uh, for Donnie, for Micah, I'm Ryan. Uh, enjoy the Premier League. Enjoy the rest of Europe. We'll talk to you in a week. Bye. Peace, peace. Later. Ringer FC listeners, support for today's show comes from Hotel Tonight, an awesome app for finding and booking great deals at great hotels. No crashing on an air mattress in your childhood bedroom this year. Instead, lock down your holiday plans with Hotel Tonight. Book a room up to seven days in advance everywhere and up to a hundred days in advance in certain major cities. Or wait until the last minute if that's more your speed. You can make a break for it when Uncle Tony, fucking Uncle Tony, starts talking politics. Whether you need a room for tonight, the holidays are beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app. 